the New Testament is clear that God wants his people to be united. Before Jesus went to the cross, you remember him praying that he wants all those that believe on him through the apostles to be one. As he is in the Father and the Father in him, that we also may be one in each other and in him so that the world might believe that he was sent. Whenever in the New Testament we read about there even being the potential for division among God's people and among different congregations, you'll have the apostles writing immediately to say Christians need to stick together and Christians don't need to divide. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. He says, I'm pleading with you all to speak the same thing and have no division among you, but be perfectly joined together and in the same mind and in the same spirit. The same apostle Paul said, just like there is one spirit. And one Lord and one Father, there's one body, there's one church. And though we have many members, we're all in the same family, all in the same body. God is serious about unity and his people being together. But if you have your Bible tonight, go ahead and turn it to Romans 14. The churches that made up the New Testament in the Bible that we read, they were comprised of many times Jews and Gentiles. And what that means is these two groups of people came from different backgrounds. And when they came into the church from different backgrounds, they often had their what you might call their cultural baggage with them. And they were different from each other. They had different preferences and they went about doing things in a different way. Paul wrote to the church at Rome and in Romans 1:16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he says in that gospel, both Jew and Gentile can be saved and be God's person. And they both are justified through their faith in Jesus Christ in Romans 1 17. But when you get to chapter 14, Paul's dealing with a specific situation among the Christians at Rome where there seems to be some differing views on some what we might call throughout this lesson matters of judgment, matters of opinion or matters of indifference. There are some, according to Romans 14 and verse two, who believe that they can eat meat. And there are others that eat only herbs or vegetables. And what Paul wants to do in Romans 14 all the way through to chapter 15 and verse 7 is to say, you all can have your different opinions on these things and still be united as God's people. You can have differences without division. God says in Romans 14 through Paul, both groups, those that believe that they can partake of meat and those that believe that they shouldn't, that both individuals could be right at the same time in so doing and yet still have the approval of God. Now, while there's not our parallel, the idea of eating of meats, Romans 14 is a chapter that must be digested as God's people in order for us to grow to spiritual maturity. Because what Paul says in Romans 14 is this. While God wants us to be united, God does not want us all to be clones one of another. You have preferences and so do I. And God has wired us in such a way that we can enjoy those things without dividing, without splintering. And that's what Paul says. What I want you to do with me tonight is just have your Bible in Romans 14 and let's study the word of God together. And let's see what God says about these areas of indifference, these matters of judgment where we can be united even if we don't see things eye to eye. What we're going to do tonight is briefly I'm going to talk about the groundwork that needs to be laid for Romans 14, the ground rules from Rome for Romans 14 so that we don't misuse or abuse the chapter And then just briefly, seven practical things that Paul says we need to be sure that we do in these areas of judgment, these areas of difference, so that we never divide. Let's begin with the ground rules briefly. Number one, let's avoid extremes. Romans 14 is sometimes used in extreme fashions, and this is what I mean. There are some people that put everything in Romans 14. 
The church is in Romans 14, worships in Romans 14, salvation. If you ask them anything, they say, well, people can believe whatever they want. We're free to disagree. And Romans 14 is the chapter that they would appeal to and they would say, it really doesn't matter what you believe or practice in Christianity because everything is in Romans 14 for them. However we worship, however we offer the plan of salvation, what we teach. There are some that are on one side of the ditch that says Romans 14 is the catch all for everything. But if everything is in Romans 14, then nothing's in Romans 14. If everything's in the Romans 14 category, Romans 14 loses its emphasis. There is one faith that we're to contend for, Jude 3. There is one Lord, one faith and one baptism. And there are some things on which God has spoken that we don't get our say. We don't get to divide. But let's be aware of the other extreme, which says Romans 14 doesn't say anything to us. That everything is a matter of law and everything is a matter of seeing things exactly the same. And you and I never get to have our own opinions or our own judgments on different matters. I know people that say, you know what, Romans 14 is in the Bible and there's about one or two things to which it applies. And that's about it. And by the way, the one or two things are the things that they decided it applies to. <laughs> Romans 14 has something to say. And if we're stricter than God, we're not righteous, we're unreasonable and ridiculous. Paul says in Romans 14, there are some matters over which you and I can be different. And let's avoid both extremes. The one that says everything's a matter of judgment and it doesn't matter what we do or practice. And the other that says nothing is. Here's number two. How do we know whether something's a matter of judgment or not? How do I know if something is a matter of judgment and I can have my own view on it or not? Let me just give you a few practical ways we can determine whether or not something is a matter of judgment, something where you and I can have our own view on it and it doesn't matter. Number one, it's probably a matter of judgment if God hasn't said anything about it. If God hasn't said anything pro or against it, then it's in the realm of judgment and individuals are free to exercise it however they choose. And nobody can come along and make a law and say, this is how you do X, Y, or Z. If God hasn't said anything about it, it's in the realm of judgment. But here's number two. If you find in the Bible somebody doing something and having God's approval and then somebody not doing something and having God's approval, it's in the realm of judgment. For example, in Acts 16 and verse 3, Paul circumcised Timothy. But in Galatians chapter two and verse three, he did not circumcise Titus. And so both actions are approved. You can do it or not do it. If God says in his word, you can do X and have my approval and not do this and have my approval. It's in the realm of judgment. Here's number three. It's probably a matter of judgment if God says it's a matter of judgment. So if you find in the Bible, God saying this is something that people get to decide on, we've got to let people decide for themselves. And we don't get to come along and say, here's how you have to believe on this or here's how you have to view it in order to be pleasing to God. Here's number three, defining weak and strong. Look at Romans 14 and notice verse one. Paul says, receive the one that is weak in the faith, but not to doubtful disputations or to quarreling over arguments. And then when you go to Romans 15 and verse one, Paul says, those of us who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. I just want to give us a word of caution in Romans 14. When Paul talks about strong and weak, he's not talking about who's the better Christian. He's not talking about who loves Jesus more strong and weak in Romans 14 deals with the sensitivity of one's conscience. And so the person that's restrictive, the person that says, I can't do that, that's a sin. The person that has a lot of rules for themselves because they fear that they may fall off the rails. According to Paul, that individual has the weaker conscience. It's not sinful. It's just where you are. 
But the other person that says, I realize we have some freedoms in Jesus Christ. They don't violate the will of God. And I'm able to exercise those things. Paul says that individual is strong. What's interesting to observe in Romans 14 is that Paul calls for neither side to convince the other of their position. He just says, receive one another. I just want you to appreciate in Romans 14, when we read weak and strong, it's not about who's the better, more faithful Christian. It's just about our sensitivity concerning our conscience. And some of that's about our ability to enjoy cultural flexibility or how we've been raised or things we've experienced. But weak and strong aren't bad terms or good terms. Paul says both are on level ground. Two more on the ground rules, and then we'll get to our points briefly. Paul's focus in Romans 14 is on the individual. I say that because some things may come to your mind as we go through this lesson tonight about congregations. You may think about Bible class or just small groups or what falls into this realm. And I don't deny that Romans 14 would have something to say about matters of judgment from the congregational scope. But in the first place, that's not the focus of the lesson tonight. But secondly, as it relates to congregational matters of judgment, God has placed the elders in positions of authority to make those decisions. And we can try to inform them of certain things, broaden their scope on how they view things. But in the end, for congregational matters of judgment, that's left up to the eldership. Tonight, we want to talk about individual matters of judgment as people of God and how we can relate to one another. And here's the last one. What are some modern day matters of judgment that the lesson we're going to go through tonight will apply to? I just thought of a few and you may think of more, but I just want us to think because we're going to read about eating meat and not eating meat. That's what Paul's talking about. But that's not our struggle. And so sometimes we fail to see exactly what Paul's saying. But we have some of these areas as well. And we need to have the flexibility that Paul says that we can. And so what if it's about politics to vote or not to vote? And how should one vote? It's in the realm of judgment and the principles that Paul gives in Romans 14 should be applied to it. What about Bible translation? Somebody says you're only really reading the Bible if you're reading from Hebrew or Greek or the King James was good enough for Paul and it's good enough for me. It's in the matter of judgment and the principles we're going to talk tonight about apply to it. To homeschool or not to homeschool? Should you send your kids out there into the world or should you keep them so you could groom them? Or somebody says we should send them into public school. We need them to be the salt and light and we can't hoard the light and be God's people. It's in the realm of judgment. And what we're going to talk about tonight and how we treat people who are on the other side of it, it has something to say to us. Songbooks or PowerPoints? Which one really shows that you really, really, truly love God? Tie or anti? Should we wear a tie to worship or should we not? How should we dress when we come into the assembly? It's a matter of judgment. And how we treat one another in these areas ultimately says something about not really the issue itself, but how we view God and how we view his word. What about holidays? Can somebody observe the birth of Jesus even religiously in December or even the resurrection in April if they choose to of their own volition? Not that they make it a national holiday, a congregational one or even a religious wide one, but of their own volition. They say, here's time that I've set aside to honor God in this special way. It's in the realm of judgment and it's up to the individual. You probably could think of more. What about the woman? Can she work outside the home? Or in my mind, does keeper of the home in Titus 2 mean she's forbidden from working? You know, that's up to each family. It's in the realm of judgment. 
And we ought to take the principles that Paul gives in Romans 14 and apply them tonight. It's really not my desire to change your mind about what you think about either side of those issues. And if you don't think that any of the issues I said tonight are in the realm of judgment, that's your judgment and your opinion. And I'm going to honor it. But what I want to say tonight are seven things from Paul in Romans 14 that no matter what side of the aisle we find ourselves on, we can be the people of God and have differences without division. Let's begin briefly. Seven points about division with differences without division. Number one, Paul says, receive each other without arguing. That's Romans 14 and verse one. He says, receive the one that is weak in the faith, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, you might draw a line in your Bible from Romans 14 and verse one down to Romans 15 and verse seven, because in Romans 14, one, Paul says to the person that realizes I've got a lot of freedom and I can enjoy this. He says, when you get around the more restricted person that doesn't really understand that, he says, you welcome them, but not to argue. And then he flips it in Romans 15 and verse 7, and he says, you receive one another. Everybody welcome each other without arguing. How can you and I have differences? And we will. And it's God approved that we can see things differently without dividing. We've got to receive one another without arguing. That's what Paul says. Receive one another. The old King James has, but not to doubtful disputations. Some of the newer translations have not to quarrel or argue. The point is this. When this person disagrees with me, I don't welcome them into my camp or into my company so that I can start laying Bible passages on them and get them to see it my way. It's not Paul's point. Paul says receive them for what? just because they're brethren. Welcome them and receive them because that's what God's done with every one of us. If it's in the realm of judgment with God, I may not like their judgment. I may not like what they decide. It may be something that I wouldn't do if it were me. But that's the point. It's not my choice to make. It's theirs. And I have to let them make it. But then I also am not allowed to treat them as a second class citizen in the kingdom of God. Receive one another without arguing. You know, there are some people that have the not so spiritual gift of being argumentative. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that, but it was one of Paul's favorite topics in the New Testament to tell people not to do, especially to his preacher friends, Timothy and Titus. In first Timothy six, three and four, he says, I want you to make sure that you avoid these quarrelings and these disputes because a person who does that is puffed up and he doesn't know anything. Avoid foolish controversies and questions. Second Timothy two, twenty three. Don't speak evil of others. Avoid arguing over things that don't matter. Titus chapter three and verse two. Avoid foolish questions. Titus three and verse nine. Receive each other and do it without arguing. In the end, in matters of judgment, the point is not really to get the other person to see it your way. The point is to see the other person and realize that they're your brother or your sister in Christ. They're not a project so that you can fix them and get them to see that they should be stricter in this area or looser in this area. Paul says that's not the point here. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, he deals with a similar thing, and his focus is identical. You're in the family of God. Welcome one another. Let brotherly love continue. Hebrews 13 and verse 1. And the only way we're going to do that, even when we strongly disagree is when we learn how to welcome each other into one another's company without arguing. This terminology, receive one another, welcome each other, is one of the most common phrases used in the New Testament to talk about our fellowship. It means to welcome somebody into your company or even to welcome them into the family. It's what those foreigners did to Paul in Acts 28 and verse 2 on the island of Malta. They welcomed him in. It's Philippians 2.29. Paul said, receive Epaphroditus as one of your own. 
Third John eight, John says, receive those that are fellow helpers of the truth. When you and I disagree over something and it's in that realm of judgment and you can have your view and I can have mine. If we're not going to splinter, if we're not going to break off and divide it's to the degree that we say, you know what, we're going to be in one another's company. And every time I'm in your company, it's not going to be my job or my duty or my agenda to lay Bible passage after Bible passage on you to hopefully get you to see it my way. I'm going to receive you as you are in your conviction and we're going to do it without arguing. That's the first thing Paul says, because you can't go much further than this. The other points that Paul will eventually make cannot be made if the two parties are arguing back and forth. You should be eating meat. No, you shouldn't be eating meat. Paul says you're in the same family. Receive one another. Since 1974, Skittles have been trying to convince people that they can taste the rainbow through assorted colors. But recently, a psychologist, a psychology professor and a neurologist from Brandish University found out that though we might believe it's the case, all Skittles taste the same. He says that what they do is the people that invented the Skittles, he said they realize that it's cheaper to make them look like they taste different and smell like they taste different. But they all taste the same in the end. He did an experiment and he blindfolded people and everybody that ate whatever Skittle he gave them, they always guessed it right. They thought they were smart, but they were deceived. They all taste the same. In matters of judgment, you might be sure that your view is right. Surely, if they were smarter, they would be on my side of the aisle. But in the end, according to Paul, in areas of judgment, we're all the same. Welcomed and received by Jesus. There is really no right or wrong here. It's up to you. And God loves people enough to give them the freedom to choose. And we've got to love our brethren to let them do the same. Now, here's number two. If we're going to be different on certain matters without dividing, we have to refuse to condemn each other. Look at Romans 14 and notice verse 2. Paul says one believes that he can eat anything, the other only herbs. Let not the one that eats despise the one that doesn't eat, and let not the one who doesn't eat despises the one that eats. And then when you drop down to verse 13, he says the same thing. Be sure that you don't condemn or judge one another. we got to make sure that we don't condemn each other. We often quote Matthew 7 and verse 1, and it's become a popular verse that people often abuse. You know Matthew 7 and verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. And a lot of people use Matthew 7 and verse 1 to say, don't tell me what to do. And we say, hey, there is a time to rebuke. But Matthew 7, 1 does have something to say in its context. It is possible to misjudge and mistreat people and in so doing to fall out of favor with God. And so James 2.13, James says... The one that shows no mercy will be judged without mercy, but mercy rejoices against judgment. We want mercy. We want judgment to be without mercy or with mercy toward us. And we need to extend it to others. If we're going to be different on matters of opinion without dividing, we can't condemn each other. Now, that's easy to read. That's easy to quote. But it's hard to practice. If you're on the freer side and you say, I'm a strong person. And I realize I've got liberties. Listen, you may look down on others and say, I remember when I was like that. I, I wish they were more steady. I remember when I thought you couldn't do that. Look at them. They, they haven't really arrived yet. I feel bad for them. I hope they catch up soon. I can't believe he thinks you got to wear a tie to every shirt. Does he think it's the 1940s? He's, he's behind. He, he don't get it. I can't believe he doesn't understand. I thought she was more mature than that. But evidently, they don't. We've got so many. They're really missing out. You might condemn But if you're on the other side and you're on the stricter side, you would be what Paul called the weaker brother. It might be tempting to look across the aisle and judge another and condemn and say things like, I thought they really loved Jesus. I can't believe they're doing that. 
And you know that's how the liberalism comes in. You start reading that NIV and it won't be long. That's where the church went wrong. They're going to send their kids to that public school where they teach that evolution and that theistic. I just can't. I'm so disappointed in them. Paul has two words for both camps. Stop it. Why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? First Corinthians 10, 29. Paul says, stop judging one another. You have the freedom to make the choice. And in the end, it's their choice to make. And so don't judge one another. Don't condemn each other because you ruin the body of Christ when you do. In these areas of indifference, in these matters of judgment, in these areas of opinion, it matters that we make sure that we do not condemn one another. If we bite and devour one another, we shouldn't be surprised when we're consumed of one another. Galatians 5.15. I know some people who have cut their circle of fellowship down so small, the only people that are right about anything is them and God, and they're questionable about him. God said to Job in Job 40 and verse 8, will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Are you going to turn me into the person that's in the wrong? We can become so sure and so dogmatic in areas where it really doesn't matter that everybody's wrong but us. Nobody loves Jesus as much as we do. Paul says, you and I are not the standard. We're servants. There was an article in the National Geographic this week about gladiators. And the article was saying that gladiators in the ancient world were not just bloodthirsty people that went into the arenas to fight. They were highly trained individuals that knew what they were doing and that could have a lucrative career if they played their cards right. Some even won their freedom in the theater. But Paul's point here is to engage in constant, useless civil war does not show that we're smart or gifted or athletic. It shows that we really don't care about our brethren or the body of Christ. Paul would say, be at peace, or Jesus would say, be at peace among yourselves, Mark 9 and verse 50. And in these areas where we strongly disagree, we've got to remember not to condemn, not to judge one another, not to look down on one another and say, if they really love the Lord, they'd be on my side of the issue. If they really love the Lord, they would express more freedom and they would be like me. Paul says, it's not your job. Now, here's number three. Remember the true judge. Verse four, Paul says, this is a question that you have to answer for yourself and I've got to answer it for myself. Who are you to judge another man's servant? Think about that to his own master. He stands and fa- or falls. And then Paul says, but God is able to make him stand. He will stand. You can imagine these brethren in this local congregation and some say I can eat whatever I want. And some say I can't. And Paul says, who are you to say who's right or wrong? Jesus says he can eat whichever one he chooses to his own master. He stands or falls. And guess what? You and I are not the judge. If you go down to verse 10, Paul's going to say, why do you judge another man's servant? We must all appear before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. So then every one of us must give account of himself to God. Paul dips back into the Old Testament and quotes Isaiah 45 and verse 23. And he says, people do not have to spend their entire Christian life pleasing you. They're ultimately going to be judged by God. And that's what really counts. We're going to be in line at the judgment and not at the head of it doing the judging. Paul says in matters of judgment in matters of opinion or indifference. And there are more than we sometimes think. Remember who the true judge is. Remember who's really in charge. People will not be judged by you. People will not give an account to you and they won't give an account for you. And you won't give an account to other people or for other people. Every one of us in the end will give an account to God. That's a reality check and also a huge relief. 
Because we realize it's really not all up to us. And we shouldn't spend our entire Christian lives trying to make sure everybody dots their I's and crosses their T's just like us in areas where Jesus has said, you know what? I love this person enough to give them the freedom to choose and we shouldn't force them to see it our way. In Second Corinthians, chapter five and verse 10, Paul says everyone must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. The Bible is sure that judgment is coming. It's going to be according to Jesus' words, John twelve forty eight. It's going to be according to the truth, Romans chapter 2 and verse 2. It'll be according to every individual's works, Matthew sixteen twenty seven and Revelation twenty two twelve. In view of that, you nor I have time. To live our entire lives worrying about everybody else that we can't control. The main thing is to make sure we have our lives in line with Jesus Christ because he's the one that's going to do the judging. Paul says, remember who the judge is and remember it's not you. Number four, be fully convinced yourself. In this section, Paul uses two examples. He uses days, special days in verse five, and then he uses foods in verse six. Now, the days probably refer to Jewish holy days. Leviticus 23, they had the Passover. They had the the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets and some Jewish people. They become Christians. And no doubt they realize that a day is just a day. But now in Christ, they decide I want to continue to celebrate this day from a cultural standpoint because it's my freedom to choose. But another man may say, you know what? Days are days and I don't really care. In verse six, he says some people choose to eat and some people choose to refrain. Whatever their choice is. They do it to the Lord and not to men. But the main thing, and underline this phrase, if you mark in your Bible at the end of verse 5, he says, let every man be fully persuaded or convinced in his own mind. If you and I are going to have differences without division, we have to be fully convinced in our own mind. Do you know why you believe what you believe in these matters of judgment? Or do you just sort of go along with everybody else? Have you really studied it out for yourself to see that this is an area where I can practice Christian liberty and I don't have to do it like everybody else? Be fully convinced yourself and then you're free to practice it. And so what if somebody says in December, I know the Bible says that Jesus was not born on December 25th. But as an individual, I so choose that in December... I'm going to focus my attention around the birth of Jesus. Christ. Somebody say, well, why would they do that? They don't have to explain it to you or to me. Paul says they give it to the Lord. And if it's April and they say, you know what, this is a time when I really want to think about Jesus rising from the somebody says we do it every first day of the week. And that's right. But Paul says in verse five and six, if they want to take a special day to the Lord and if they decide as an individual, not congregationally, not to make it a Christian holiday for everyone. But if an individual says as a Christian, it's my decision that I want to recognize the resurrection of Jesus on this specific Sunday. It's their choice. And the only person that they ultimately have to convince is the person they look in the mirror. They don't have to have an argument for you or for me. Paul says, let them be fully convinced in their own mind. And that's what it boils down to. In these areas of judgment, you could imagine individuals that are Jewish and their familiarity with the old covenant and their inability to partake of the food. And you could try to go to them all you want and say, listen, Jesus has come. All food is clean. Everything's open. They say, I just can't do that. And try to convince a Gentile man who's eaten meat his entire life to give up pork chops. He won't do it. All he has to do is be convinced in his own mind. In areas of judgment, you and I can remain united even when we don't see perfectly eye to eye. So long as we realize 
that if our minds convicted and if it is truly a matter of judgment, we just have to be fully convinced of our own volition in our own mind. We don't have to convince one another. Remember, the goal of Romans 14 is not to make the strong weak or the weak strong. The goal is receive one another and maintain Christian fellowship. Now, here's the next one. Number five, refuse to be a stumbling block. And isn't this the challenge? In Romans 14 and verse 13, Paul says, never become a stumbling block. In verse 14, Paul says, I'll just tell you my judgment. All foods are clean. But verse 15, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And then in verse 20, he says, don't destroy the work of God. In fact, if it causes my brother to stumble, I won't eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes my brother to offend. For Paul, he says, yes, you have Christian liberties. That's right. And you may be hearing this lesson tonight, and in your mind you're thinking, well, I already knew this stuff. I'm, I'm ahead of the curve. Paul would say, well, that's great, but there are some things to consider. Just because you and I have freedoms in Christianity, the name of the game is not Christian freedom for self. It's Christian freedom for service. And so we need to think twice before we exercise Christian liberty. Here are some questions that you and I should walk through before we exercise any Christian liberty. Is this inherently sinful? If it's sinful, then we can't do it because the Bible says the wages of sin is death and lust brings forth sin and sin leads to death. James 1.15. If it's inherently sinful, it's off limits. But number two, is this going to be a stumbling block for my brethren? If it is, then I don't need to do it in their presence. If it's going to offend them, you say, well, I'm listening to this religious music with instruments. I don't intend to worship. I'm doing it for my own enjoyment, but it's going to be a stumbling block to them. It's not inherently sinful, but I I don't see any problem with it. If it's a stumbling block to the brethren, it may very well be a sin. If you know that and you cause them to stumble, it could be. Is this going to harm my influence or my ability to reach people that are non-Christians or new Christians? I need to think that through. Paul says, whatever you do. You don't want to be a stumbling block. We realize that we have freedom. First Corinthians eight and verse one, Paul says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you're on this stronger side and you realize we have some freedoms, I just want to caution you to say, be careful that in your freedom, you don't boast and become arrogant and braggadocious and say, I'm ahead of the curve. And in so doing, cause others who may be more restrictive for reasons that they don't have to explain to you to stumble. Nigel Amos. And Isaiah Jewett were in the Olympics last year, 2021, in Tokyo. They were round. You can Google this tonight. They were rounding the curve, the last 200 meters of the 800-meter run. And Nigel tripped Isaiah. And they both stumbled, and they both came in last place. They didn't get up and fight each other. They didn't curse each other. They locked arm in arm and walked across the finish line. You know how hard it is to get to the Olympics. It only comes every four years and every four years, your chances to win significantly decrease because you're four years older. People work their whole lives and they'll never know how it would have turned out. They were right there with the rest of the pack, but they walked across the finish line arm in arm. Do you know how difficult it is to follow Jesus Christ? People spend their whole lives trying to do it just to get across the finish line. It's a one time shot that they have and they're doing everything they can. Don't stick out your foot and call somebody to stumble. Reach out your hand and lift them up so that we can all say together, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Not to me only, Paul would say, but to all them that love is appearing. Don't be a stumbling block in matters of judgment. Be a stepping stone. Help other people who may be struggling, who may have a sensitive conscience to get across the finish line. 
Paul was so serious about this that 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 13, Paul could say, if meat causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again as long as the world stands. Paul wanted to make sure that he taught others the most important thing was your brethren and not your liberties. Here's number six. Guard your influence. Every one of us has an influence and we need to make sure that we guard it. Paul says in verse 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Guard your influence because people are watching us, Christians and non-Christians. We might have freedoms, we might have liberties, but we need to make sure that people, we know that people are watching us and guard our influence. The local liquor store in Bowling Green may have the best shaved ice and Coke in all of the county. But if you're in the car with somebody who says, you know what, I used to always go to that liquor store. And every time I did, I got so drunk, I couldn't see straight or drive home. And you say, well, I've got Christian liberty and I know it's a liquor store, but I don't intend to buy any alcohol. Everybody that knows me knows that I don't drink. It's not a sin for me to go in. If you cause a brother or sister to stumble and relapse, it doesn't matter how much Bible, you know, it doesn't matter how much liberty you think you have. You've not only harmed your influence, but you have fallen into sin. If there's a non-Christian, you're working on it. You say, well, hey, I can go in there and buy it. No problem at all. But what if they were to obey the gospel of Christ, but now they're turned off because of your influence or mine? We've done more damage than we can ever imagine. Paul says, oh, there's freedom, but there's also responsibility. And so be careful with how you wield it and how you use it. Because people are watching us, but most of all, God is. Guard your, every one of us has an influence. You have people that are watching you, and that does not mean, that doesn't mean that our conscience is held hostage by what they think or what they believe. It just means be careful and be sensitive to the sensitivity of others. Because the highest ethic in Christianity is not really freedom. It's love. And that's what should drive us. Now, here's the seventh and final one tonight. Never violate your own conscience. Paul ends this section by saying, happy is the one who does not condemn himself by what he eats. He that doubts is condemned if he eats because he doesn't eat from faith. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Here's Paul's point. Imagine the two camps, the the meat eaters and the vegetarians. And if you were surrounded by people that eat meat and you say, well, I just can't do that, but I don't want them to think any less of me. And so you just go ahead and do it anyway. Paul says, don't do that. You say, well, I'm a vegetarian and I'm I'm around these people and so I'm just going to go along with them. I feel really bad about it. I feel terrible about it the whole time, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Paul says in that moment it becomes a sin because the human conscience as trained by the word of God is there to guard us from evil. But if we destroy it by always giving in and surrendering in times when we don't have to, we'll do damage to it and it'll ultimately be of no good. This point is important because it says you do not have to become a chameleon to be a faithful Christian. You don't have to be like everybody else. And Paul says, if it feels terrible the entire time you're doing it, it doesn't matter how many other people are doing it. You don't do it because if you do, it becomes a sin. Never, ever violate your own conscience. Doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. You may be the only one that realizes you can exercise this liberty. Now, you don't flaunt that liberty, but you don't have to cower and give in because opinions are not evil. God's given them to us. And if they're well studied and if they are sound and reasonable, God says you can exercise it and you don't have to feel bad about doing it. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of that heart flow the very issues of life. Proverbs 4.23. Paul is saying you don't have to go along to get along, but you can still get along. Don't be a chameleon. Be true because Jesus did not die for you or for me to have doubts. 
to have continual questions, to have this sort of uneasiness where we're sort of held captive by what everybody else thinks about us. Because here's Paul's point. If you become a slave to everybody else and what they think about you, you'll be ineffective to the one who truly has rightful ownership of you. Never violate your conscience because you can't serve two people at the same time. If God says it's a matter of judgment and you have the freedom to exercise it, do it within reason. But never go along with everybody else just because they're doing it. Romans 14 is an important chapter of the Bible. It's where we mature as Christians when we see that God really is serious about us being united as a family. But God also knows that you and I are different. And we can have those differences without division. Paul does not stop his argument in Romans 14. He sprints right into chapter 15, and that's his conclusion. He says, Jesus has received Jew and Gentile and welcomed them both just as they are. Jesus didn't say to come into this family, you've got to stop being a Gentile or you've got to stop being a Jew. He says, no, you just have to stop being a sinner. Just be a Christian and Jesus will receive you. And what we say as the family of God at Lehman Avenue is this. In order to be in this family, you don't have to become a carbon copy of Hiram Kemp or anybody else. All you have to do is what God demands of you. Just be a Christian. You don't have to do it my way or anybody else's way. Just be a Christian. And where God demands and commands, we affirm. But where God is lenient and says people can choose. If we're going to be faithful Christians, we follow his lead. God will receive you tonight if you need to obey the gospel. He doesn't show favoritism. Everybody who obeys the gospel is accepted by him. Just believe on Christ and turn from sin and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And God will add you to the kingdom. You'll become a part of his one body and you'll be commissioned to keep the unity. We'll have differences, but we don't have to divide. Maybe there's been a question about something I said tonight. I would love to study with you. If you have some questions about some of this and you say, I really didn't understand this. Were you saying this? Let's do our best to assume the best of one another, but let's also be true to the word of God and what it says. Maybe tonight you need the prayers of the church, or if we can help you in any way, if this is your invitation, Mike's going to lead us in a song to encourage us. Come now together we stand and as we sing.